Hey everyone, welcome back to Discourse from the Big Chair. I am Steve Cuffin. With me, as always, Stephen Coleman. How you doing, Steve Coleman? I'm doing great. Doing great and well. Doing doing great and well. I'm yeah. glad you're doing great. You know, you're you're known far and wide for your charitable works, so that's good. Just a little, little English teacher joke for you there. Uh yeah. So <laughs> anyway, we are back for one more episode before we wrap up this, I guess, season? Is season a fair thing to call this? Let's call it a season. Let's the call it a season. The final episode is season two. Man, you know what the hallmark of a great podcast is? Is when you talk inside baseball on the air while you're recording. That's a smart thing that I brought up. So, <laughs> yeah, this is this has been a, a, a great couple of episodes, being able to revisit you know some of the things that we missed out on, that people emailed us about, that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Uh, in our first go around, so yeah, it's it's been great, and we capped it off in a really cool way. So before we jump in, if you've been paying attention, if you've been listening to the show for the past few episodes, you know that on our last one, we had a bit of a mishap. Uh, oh, actually, it wasn't the last one; it was two episodes ago. We had a bit of a mishap. We had some audio issues, and we lost some footage, which I replaced by cutting it out, and then putting the Batman TV show transition noise in, which seemed like an, uh, you know, a decent substitution. But turns out some of our loyal listeners were like, hey, there's this one part where Steve Coleman is telling a, a good story and the whole thing gets garbled and we miss the whole thing. So, Steve, you were actually telling a story about when you met Tears for Fears, and do you, would you mind telling that again just so people can hear it? Because I, I think it's a great story. We actually had a really good conversation the first time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, except this time I don't have bronchitis anymore, so that's fun. Um, oh, well, that just ruins the whole thing. Might as well not do it. Actually, it's way better when I have a head full of snot, everybody, so I'm sorry just to, you know, I might be disappointing you here. Yeah, not as but, lucid. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I, was, I was just joking around. Go ahead. I thought you had a good quip. I don't no. want to interrupt you. No, no. Go ahead, man. <laughs> Um, so I, I actually listened back to that episode just to make sure I didn't repeat myself. Um, but I believe the story sort of got interrupted after I talked about my first interaction with Roland Orsbull from Tears for Fears, which was just sort of an awkward way to meet my idol for the first time. But at the time, still just like starstruck, it was amazing. And then shortly after that, I got to hang out with Kurt Smith, and this is backstage at the State Theater in Minneapolis, 2004, almost 12 years ago. Yikes. Ooh. You're, you're, really, you're really dating yourself here. Yeah. Um, Although, so I, I guess when it comes to Tears for Fears fans, you're probably still on the younger end of the spectrum. Is that fair to say? Uh, that's definitely very, very fair to say. In fact, one thing I forgot to bring up, in that story is when I first approached Roland Orzable backstage, I was trying to get him before he went upstairs to go like guzzle wine. And I said, Oh, please, <laughs> Mr. Orzable, I've been a fan since I was two. And he like kind of like feigned fainting <laughs> <clears throat> because even though I was of, um, 19 summers at that point, I still, you know, was young but old enough to be like, oh shit! Like I'm getting him in his mind. He's like, oh man, I'm really getting old. Yeah. Um, well, and and you you looked like I, I saw the video of you when you were a young man, and you you looked like a, a small boy when you were nineteen, twenty. 
Mm-hmm. Small boy. Hadn't really uh, grown into my body so much. Yeah, it's kind of um, like that uh, that Britney Spears song where she sings, you know, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. That's kind of like you. <laughs> I was a very uh, – I, I look back at it now and it's like, wow, I was kind of an awkward 19, 20-year-old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was smack dab at the time that I met them uh, for the first time. And uh, when I met up with Kurt Smith, who I'd run into in the street hours before – he engaged me in a pretty long conversation. Um, he was incredibly friendly. Like I almost felt like he kind of looked at me as just like a kid who's even younger than I actually was. Like, oh, I feel sorry for this bastard. I should probably hang out with him for a little bit. Um, but he took a picture with me, and then at one point he steps on my foot. And he was like, oh, cool, Doc Martens. And so we spent like five minutes just chatting about doc martens that was I, that was the dream you, you share a similar uh, fashion sense to your idols yeah he was telling me he'd been wearing doc martens since he was like 30 13 or something like that no. and it's like damn that's awesome man you should grow your hair out like him in 1985 what do you think you know i'm I, i've thought about it. i've come close a few times although uh <laughs> I think on the hair spectrum, I might be more on uh, the rolling side than the curt side, yeah, but we'll you're, see. Yeah, you're a little more rolling Yeah, not as curly. No, if we, if we got you a perm and dyed it black, then uh, maybe, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> There's still time. Still time. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was pretty much it. I just, that experience was like, I, you know, meeting Roland Orzabal was great. I kind of was at the time at least a bigger fan of him than Kurt Smith, but man, Kurt Smith was just so awesome and friendly, and he actually talked about me in his like tour blog or tour diary after that, so that was really cool. That is cool. And then, Do you remember three, what he said about you when he wrote about you on the internet? I put it at the end of that documentary I did, and oh, it was yeah. kind of like we ran into a fan called Steve who was like very nervous upon meeting us and seemed at like a loss for words. I find it strange when we have that effect on people. I don't think I'll ever come to terms with that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, so you, you gave, gave Kurt Smith an existential crisis. Way to go. Yep. The existential crisis on mm-hmm. fame and all of its follies. <laughs> Awkward 19-year-old men Seriously. fawning over him. <laughs> yeah, so I did that and then I uh, did that documentary and then three years later I get backstage to their California show in Orange County, Mm -hmm. which was a very bizarre experience. It was a benefit show for their tour manager who was going through like non-traditional cancer treatments. And uh, the whole backstage scene was like friends and family of the band. And then there's me (laughs) and my girlfriend at the time, who's just like making fun of me the whole time. It was an awful 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 experience and when i get backstage like the big thing is i'm gonna go talk to them ask them what they thought about my 10 minute student film (laughs) and kurt smith had already flown the coop like i said their families are there so he's probably like hanging out in his trailer with his family you know enjoying their time together roland orsbill's still hanging out he actually makes eye contact with me and approaches me and starts shaking my hand for what feels like an eternity (laughs) <laughs> and you're just like, oh, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, shit, oh, shit. What if, and I don't know what to say. And this is the second time I've met him. And he's just, I, I don't know if he was like a little bit drunk, <laughs> but he's definitely like, he's 
being very aggressive with this handshake. And the dude, for a pretty slight guy, mm-hmm. has massive hands. Oh. He's got like Tony Robbins banana hands. I don't know if it's like from playing the guitar or if he just. <laughs> like his, his fingers have elongated over the year? Yeah, like wow. big, long, thick. Like it was like shaking hands with a lumberjack. Wow. Like, holy cow. Like he didn't have like the hands of what I guess like a millionaire pop star would have. Yeah, I so, I, I expected him to have like dainty prince hands or something. Now, if anybody out there can verify that for me, <laughs> that was my experience in shaking hands with Roland Orr's Bull. Mm-hmm. Wow. But anyway, I'm like asking him about like what he thought about the documentary, and he's like, "Oh, I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it." And I'm crushed. Ha! Well, because yeah. you you expected him to see it. Yeah, and I was going there with almost like the promise that like, hey, like their webmaster at the time had sent them this documentary. They sent him a DVD copy, and she's Heather Burns was her name. She's like, yeah, he's definitely going to have seen it, or at least he's going to have it in his possession. And that's how I got on the guest list to be backstage at this like highly like personal show for them. Oh, well. So, so do you think? Do you think he was one like messing with you, or two legitimately didn't know, or three, uh, which might be the most soul crushing? Uh, do you think he watched it and didn't like it and was just like, "I'm going to pretend like I didn't see it, so I don't hurt his feelings." I think it might be a combination of the first two. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's what I was hoping for. I, I, did, I didn't mean to concoct some soul-crushing third scenario there. And, and the only reason why I think that is because after that had happened, oh, and it was such a brutal situation. Again, like my girlfriend at the time was there. We were going to be moving to Texas at that point. And she just, oh, she was like making fun of me backstage. And I remember like Roland Orzabal met her and he's like, oh, this is my kind of girl, Steve. Yeah, like, <laughs> Roland's getting yeah. fresh with your lady. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus. And uh, so he just kind of like walks away after a while. I like tried to engage him in a conversation about wine, like thinking in my head, like, oh, it's cool. He hasn't seen it. Yeah. Weeks later, I'm living in fucking Brownsville, Texas, mm. which is one of the most miserable places on earth. Yeah. I'm in. Fire your favorite song, is... uh, Brownsville Station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or is that a band? What is that? That's a thing. That's yeah, the smoking in the boys' room. Smoking right? in the boys' room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's the band, and they sing "Smoking in the Boys' Room." Got it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, and I'm in a subway restaurant because it's the only place in town that has Wi-Fi. And I'm emailing Heather. I'm like, "Hey, here's my experience. This is exactly what happened to me." And she's like, "Oh yeah, that sounds like a pretty typical Roland experience for fans." I'm like, "What? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about." Oh. <clears throat> and she's like, "Yeah, he usually kind of." Gets a little tipsy, like, a little bit after the show, and he has, like, a very dry sense of humor, so people don't know when he's just being kind of a sarcastic guy, so uh-huh. he's totally seen it, he knows all about it, he was just kind of, like, messing with you. That's good. According to her, though. And, you know, who knows? She can't speak for him, totally. But. Sure. But I, I don't. I, at the same time, I don't think she would concoct a scenario just to make you feel better, you know? No. Mm-mm. But I, I like the idea of Rowan Orsbolt just messing with a, a young, fresh-faced Steve Coleman, soon-to-be mm. Brownsville Station resident. And it's not like I was – and again, he approached me at that point. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I'm exuding a lot of confidence either. Again, I'm like you know, shaking hands with one of my idols, and I'm kind of like, oh, God, what do I do? What do I say? And 
Don't meet your idols, people. No, I never would do that. It's it's disappointing. Everyone's a disappointment. Let's face it. <laughs> and and again, he's. I mean, not that he was ever like a total jerk to me. He definitely wasn't. No, but no. Um, well, and, yeah. and and I should clarify my point too. I'm not saying that you know, oh, they're going to be disappointing people. But like you know, you build them up as gods in your head, and they're just like you know, regular guys who just happen to be really talented. And at the same time, I'm sure in your head you were concocting this scenario where it's just like, oh, yeah, me and Roland are going to talk about the documentaries. You talk about how he loves it. And he's going to say, hey, why don't you come on tour with us? And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Just all these, like, I, fantasies floating around in your head. I did at least fantasize the scenario where he was going to invite myself and my then-girlfriend out for, like, dinner or something after the show. Because he was even saying to her, like, oh, man, my wife would love you. You're so funny. <laughs> I think that was the crushing part too. That he was just kind of like fawning, not in a in a weird, creepy, sexual way, but he's yeah. kind of like fawning over my then girlfriend, and it was just. Uh, and what was her relationship? This is my with moment tears for fears. Just, just she tolerated them. Was that her? She just came with me. Um, it was sort of like a graduate. We'd both graduated from college at that point. It was like a gift. Oh. for me to go see them and like in retrospect like it's like ah, i wish i would have like brought my like dad you know <laughs> who's yeah. somebody who's actually a fan would have appreciated the situation that's totally understandable yeah i i completely understand that i've i've had similar scenarios too or say i look back on you know people i i took with me to various uh you know special moments in my life and i'm just like oh shit thank god that was a waste <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I did see them again two years later in Vegas, which made up for it. Um, and then I ran into Kurt Smith in the elevator. Oh, yeah? And how'd that yeah. go? That had to be a, a long 30 seconds. <laughs> it was it was by far probably my best interaction <laughs> with anybody in that band. Yeah. Um, but it was weird because the show was at this resort in Vegas. And all of the band was staying in the same hotel as we were staying in. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to me. And, like, even the hotel desk clerk said, like, oh, yeah, the whole band's staying here tonight. Like, Ooh. okay, that's really weird information for you to reveal for us. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm getting off of the elevator, and he's about to get on. And we make eye contact, and he looks at me, he starts laughing, and he shakes his head. Oh. So he knows exactly <laughs> who I am. Oh, God. <laughs> And I'm just like, hey, how's it going? And he's just laughing. He's like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Please don't talk to me. I just want to get on the elevator. Oh, God. Um, but I don't think he was creeped out. I mean, it's not my fault that I was I, mean, I was getting off. <laughs> it's not like I was following him. So, wow. Well, <laughs> well I, I'm glad that we – this is going to sound weird. I, I would love to meet these guys. I'd love to – actually talk to Kurt Smith and Roland Orzabal, but I'm kind of glad we didn't meet him uh, when we went and saw him because it was an amazing show, but I was also soaking wet and pretty drunk. So let's talk about the show that we went to, Steve. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's dive right in, man. So this is kind of weird because last time we saw them in, and this is like hard finger quotes, Detroit, when in fact we were in Sterling Heights, Michigan, which is like, uh, it's it's a suburb. It's like saying, oh, yeah, I'm from New York City, and you're in, like, Synecdoche or something, uh, or Bristol, Connecticut. I don't know. <laughs> the point is, it's, uh, it's not not a, your normal Michigan, Detroit area city. It's it's kind of, it's on the west side of the state. It's a little bit isolated. It's uh, super conservative. 
And the venue we went to, the Meyer Gardens, was really small. Really, mm-hmm. really, really small outdoor venue. Well, I remember we got there as soon as we walked in to the amphitheater. We were in the very last row of wherever you could be standing, and you said, man, we're already closer than we were at the Sterling Heights show. Yep. Which is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like, if you think of your typical outdoor venue, whether it's Sterling Heights or uh, there's one in Cleveland that I've been to that's similar to the one in, in Sterling Heights or pretty much any outdoor amphitheater you can think of. Like, you know, the, the reserved special pay-for seats that are normally up front? None of those. All general admission. And yeah. again, even standing in the beer line, you're closer to the stage than you would be at almost any other major outdoor venue where a, a band this big would play. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was so happy, although the vibe immediately, and I was proven wrong, thankfully, but the vibe I got from the crowd was really weird. Oh, yeah? Um, a lot of people like are sitting in those like miniature lawn chairs. Oh, yeah. Beach. And there's like people with like cheese boards and charcuterie and wine. And I'm just like, man, this is going to be like a country club type show. Yeah, it, it had a very – when we first walked in, it, it definitely had less of a rock show vibe than it had. A, it had more of a jazz in the park vibe, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect example, actually. So uh, I, I, I was getting really nervous. And we're standing in that beer line, which took forever. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we stood in the beer line for about six hours. Uh, that's what it felt like. And it was crazy, too, because it wasn't even that long. It just didn't move because people just got to the front of it and were just like, man, alcohol. Let me stand here and think about it for 20 minutes. It was just like you know, you know the feeling you get when you when you go out to eat with somebody and like everybody orders and the last person is just like taking a lifetime. Like oh, I, I I don't know. What do you think? It's imagine that, but in a line full of like thirty people, where each person goes through that interaction. I was about ready to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> I was there too. That's true. I was watching. Yeah, I was just you're like doing your best uh, Red Fox side. impression. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty much it. So, yeah, so aside from the lengthy beer line, I, I, honestly, that's my only complaint. How did we end up getting so close to the stage? That's the part I don't understand. Well, just, yeah, um, pure luck. I mean, we got there, you know, probably a half hour after doors opened, um, but we found, like, this plot of land sort of stage, I guess this would be stage right if I'm getting my stage directions correct, well, it was on. It was actually. Stage. I think it was our. We were on. We were on the right side of the stage as an audience member, but it would have been on That's the left stage side. Left. Yeah, stage left. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we were stage. I always forget the term. How to use it correctly? Oh so we God. were sitting stage left. Pretty far to the left, but there's just like mm-hmm. this huge spot of grass that's open, and there's the four of us. There's me, you, Sean, who was uh, with us last week on the podcast, and uh, mm-hmm. Sophie. Yep, and we just had a blanket, and it was kind of weird because we weren't really sure how it was going to work once the show started because it looked like that was going to be a crowd that was going to sit for the whole thing. Oh, and yeah. I'm kind of panicking. It's like, oh, like, are we gonna? Is it cool if we stand? Are we gonna like upset people? And then there's this random like drunk lady who's like, "No, you guys will be fine. I was here last week, and they let us stand right by the stage." Oh God! Like, well, that bodes well. 
And that, that also makes me wonder, who exactly did she see? Like, who played before Tears for Fears? I want to know who it was, because I was looking at the, the Meyer Gardens, like, summer lineup, and it was just, like, a bunch of things that I, I don't ever want to be near, and then Tears for Fears. I think it was, like, Jay Leno or something. <laughs> like, I think it was a oh, comedy God. show. That's um, terrible. Yeah. So. I think you'd have to pay me to go see Jay Leno. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you want some Doritos? What's what's your what would be your asking price to go see Jay Leno? Uh, Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. Or I would say, if you if you pay my travel fee and you pay for all of my alcohol, I will I will basically see anything. Mm-hmm. I I think I, that's fair. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you could have a lot of fun things to potentially say about a Jay Leno experience. Mm-hmm. Or um, hey, I can make my own fun. <laughs> there you go. Well, and, and even that, that, you know, the venue that we went to in Sterling Heights last year, when I was in high school, they used to book all these legacy acts there and they would never sell out. So they would just give away free lawn tickets. So almost every weekend I was going out there with my friends. We were just seeing bands we didn't care about and just having a good time hanging out, basically. And uh, yeah, so you can, you can make your own fun. But we didn't need to because, holy crap, this was a pretty amazing show. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, uh, it was Gavin DeGraw and Andy Grammer. Oh, God. Or OAR, one of those two, who were right before uh, Tears for Fears. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, holy shit, that show was amazing. Um, really and I'm not just saying that as a Tears for Fears fan. Um, I was surprised uh, Michael Wainwright was joining him this time around. Yeah, because it was, it was that, uh, that woman last time. Mm-hmm. Kareen around. Yeah. And uh, I found out a few days after that show, she was scheduled to tour with them, but something happened to her. her she's originally from the UK as well. Something happened to her family. She had to, like, leave the tour oh, on, geez. like, short notice. That's and I'm, yeah. I'm kind of wondering if maybe that was the family illness that initially, why they had to cancel the entire, or at least postpone the entire tour initially. Yeah. Um, either way, it's really sad. Um, that's a big bummer. Um, but it was nice to see Michael Wainwright again. Um, I, the opening set was a little, I don't know. How did you feel? It was your first time seeing him. Um, it scared me a little bit (laughs) and not because he was spooky. Uh, unless you think that a guy who looks like the singer alive is spooky. Uh, he, (laughs) which by the way, how old do you think Michael Wainwright is? I want to say he's probably early 40s. Okay, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia page of Ed Kowalski, or whatever his name is. the Kowalczyk. Kowalczyk, the singer alive. And he is currently 45 years old. Now, have you ever seen Ed Kowalczyk and Michael Wainwright in the same room? Mm, actually, I think I have. <laughs> there's a good possibility I have at least seen a photo of them together. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of weird. Uh, and it totally ruins my theory that they're the same person. But anyways, uh, you know, it, w- it was kind of weird because it felt like Michael Wainwright was playing rock songs that would necessitate, like, a, a large band, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, there was no band. It was just Michael Wainwright with an electric guitar, not an acoustic guitar. I realized he was playing Roland Orzabal's old uh, uh, Gibson. Oh, wow. The big red Gibson with the uh, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending sticker on it. 
I did not. That's that's a man super fan observation. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else has made that observation, at least as far as I know, in any of the fan sites or anything. Yeah, you you uh, heard it here first. The uh, the ultimate nerd boy. <laughs> but I think that's an indication of how quickly he was like asked to replace Karina around. I think it was just like, hey, man, are you doing anything for the next three weeks? Can you be in Vegas on like short notice and just come mm-hmm. tour with us? Uh, yeah. So he probably just like packed a bag of clothes and they're like, don't worry about guitars. We got plenty of them. What, uh, when was the last time he toured with them? Uh, would have probably been 2010, I think. Okay. Uh, 2011, because I saw them in 2011 in California, and he was still there. Hmm. And, and okay, so then there you go. It's uh, it's been at least five years. Then wow, mm-hmm. just pick things back up. Uh, also, I want you to know that I I did look up Michael Wainwright just now on Wikipedia. Turns out he's only 43, so you are correct. He is not yeah. actually the singer alive, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> now, again, when we saw him, I and this weirded me out with the crowd too because. Like you said, they had their their little like super low to the ground like beach chairs, and then they had their their little cheese plates, and people were just kind of like talking and again jazz in the park vibe. And I was like, oh god, is this what it's going to be? Yeah, I was actually getting a little bummed myself. Like, oh, fuck, and this I don't is know. this is no dig on Michael Wainwright. It's just like you know, the sound seemed fine, but it just it wasn't very loud and. It's like, oh man, like what 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 is this gonna be? And then Michael Wainwright leaves, Tears for Fears is about to hit the stage, and then we realize that we can just walk right up to the stage and we are like two feet away from Kurt Smith, basically, at that point. Yeah. And throughout the course of the show I kept I was never pushed. The crowd was amazing, by the way. They blew oh, me yeah. away. Super. Multiple people bumped into me and apologized. Mm-hmm. That's, and I mean, that's there insane. were people, <laughs> and there's people that I was like standing in front of that I was like a little bit taller than. And I'd like turn around and I'd like kind of apologize. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, "Oh no, you're fine. You're having fun. Keep going." Like, yeah. okay, <laughs> thanks. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. And then I actually wound up the spot I had for like two thirds of the show. I was literally sta- standing on the stage. That's how close we got. Oh yeah, because you were you were. There's like that little. Um, there's like those steps right next to steps, the uh, <laughs> to the amp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. Uh, and then of course, like because you were you were a little bit elevated too, because you were on those steps. So I kept looking over at you, and you had this like this boyish grin on your face, like you just got the golden <laughs> ticket in your Wonka bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think yeah, I think my I, favorite part a- though was. Well, I mean, before before you had your your Wonka smile, was literally the moment that they took the stage. I was like, "Woo!" And then the first time they hit a note, like the absolute first note, uh, to everybody wants to rule the world. I, I feel rain start to fall. <laughs> yep. Like literally, we're like, "Okay, Michael Wainwright, not a lot of energy, but here these guys are. This crowd is pumped now. We're cool." And then the moment they hit a note, it's like, oh, 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 boy. <laughs> Here it comes. It was a really weird rain, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, the drops were inconsistent. They were thick, like chubby rain, like from Bowfinger. <laughs> You're never moving. <laughs> yeah, um, it was kind of weird. And we were, like, partially shielded because we were so close to the stage that there was, like, an overhang that kind of kept us from 
getting too much of the rain. Yeah. But uh, let me. I'm, I'm looking at the set list right now. Uh, first off, I love that they started with everybody wants to rule the world and secret and secret world and sowing the seeds of love and pale shelter. Like you want to talk about just like getting the crowd pumped up after kind of a low energy set to open things up. Holy crap. Yeah. And I mean, good on them for that too. I mean, they, um, the crowd, as far as I could tell, everybody was standing the entire show. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, except for the people who left like five minutes in because it was raining. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me because those tickets were really expensive. What are you doing? I'm guessing maybe they were just because there were like people who were like members of the Meyer Garden Garden Club. <laughs> they water the flowers on the weekends. I don't know. Like I don't know what one does to maintain membership other than maybe paying dues. But yeah, maybe there's a little bit of maintenance in the botanical garden. Right. Um, Somebody's got to take care of those weeds, man. Yeah. <laughs> Earl's got a weed whacker. You remember? Mm-hmm. You get season passes to all of our summer concerts. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, it was great, though, because you're right, a lot of people stuck around, which was super cool, because I I was afraid, there are two things that were kind of on my mind the whole time, which is, one, either most of the crowd is going to leave, and that's going to suck the energy out of the whole show, or two, the rain's going to get too bad, and they're going to have to stop playing. Well, when they started playing Change... And it was sort of funny because Kurt Smith is making this comment like, oh, yeah, I, on the way into town, I asked God to give us the perfect weather. And then he could see that it was raining. And he's like, well, clearly God's pissed at me. <laughs> Which I, as an aside, got all the fans behind me when I was like, but you're an, you're an atheist. <laughs> uh, the TFF fans were laughing and high-fiving me for that one. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because... And I'm sure he doesn't know this because why would he? But just because I grew up in Michigan, I lived on the west side of the state for a long time. Uh, The Grand Rapids, it's a pretty big city. I mean, it's not a big, big city, but it's decent size. But it's super, super, super conservative, super, super Christian. So the fact that he busted out that joke, I was just like, oh. (laughs) And my initial thought was, oh, this is a dig at Grand Rapids. But then, as soon as he says that, they start playing change, and that huge, like, squall comes oh, yeah. through the crowd. It was like a monsoon. <laughs> and it was insane. I, for no joke, for like half a minute, I had a lot of concerns <laughs> because that wind blows through. Mm-hmm. It blows both Roland and Kurt back a few feet. Roland's hair is going all over his face, and you can just see like he's just getting frustrated. But it looked incredibly dangerous, and there's that massive lighting rig Mm -hmm. right in front of them that starts swinging violently. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to come down crashing on them, and I thought, like, they're either going to cancel the show right now, or I'm about to see my favorite band get decapitated by a lighting rig. Yeah, that that was it my was really too. scary. <laughs> I was just like, oh god, oh god, oh god. But then it was amazing because, like, I don't know. There's this moment where the the chorus to change was going on, and then all of a sudden, like, another big gust hit, and then Roland's hair was blowing back, and his clothes were blowing everywhere, and it just like, I don't know. It was like the Tears for Fears version of Seal's "Kiss from a Rose" music video. <laughs> <laughs> they kept playing too. Oh like, yeah, they never stopped, and, I, and the whole time I was just like, "Oh god, they're gonna cut this short and then run off the stage." And they just they just kept on powering through. Yeah, I, and, and it was, yeah, I was genuinely terrified. 
and I guess that's what it means to be a professional. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, and more power to him because if I was in their situation, maybe I I probably would have walked off. But then again, you got to think about it too. And it's like, man, they canceled the show once, and how crappy would it have been if? They had to, you know, that they barely played half their set, and then they had to, you know, walk off the stage. That would have been very sad. Yeah. And it was a sold out show too. I think that's probably the primary reason why they made sure to reschedule that show, especially so late in like that venue's like concert series. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, it was way, way, way at the end. It was. It was a little bit chilly too. Like I, I had to borrow a coat from Sean because I was like, oh yeah. god, it's not summer anymore. I just realized that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was like 50-some degrees that night, mm-hmm. um, which, like, everybody on stage was pretty bundled up except for Kurt Smith and his, like, T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Which, no. speaking of Kurt Smith, I've this is the seventh time I've seen them live. Mm-hmm. And I've always been able to sort of judge a show by how well Kurt Smith is <laughs> or seems to be enjoying himself on stage. Sure. I've never seen him as good as he was that night. Yeah. He was he was great. He was absolutely great. Now, I don't have as big of a frame of reference as you cuz I've only seen him mm. twice, but he seemed noticeably more energized and just happy and kind of into it. Yeah. Um and I know like he went on Twitter after the show. He was like, "Man, that was a great show. The audience was awesome." Like mm. I'm and I thought that was great. Yeah. Um I was really impressed with him uh that night. Mhm. No, totally. And I, I think it was it was probably a combination of a lot of things. Like they were probably well, one riding high on the fumes from uh playing that big music festival in Vegas. I'm sure that energized them a bit. Uh mm. and then to come to a place that's like, you know, they fly into Detroit, they drive for three and a half, four hours through the middle of nowhere to get to this medium sized city to play this tiny outdoor venue when it's freezing cold and raining and the crowd was still completely into it, which I'm guessing that had to be really cool for them. Yeah, and that was another thing that was worrying me before the show because I knew, like, I thought it was bizarre that they flew into Detroit in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that didn't um, make any sense. Other than it being in the same state as Grand Rapids, it just didn't make logistical sense to me, but I'm not a tour manager. Yeah. Um, but I thought, man, so they have this big show in Vegas, they spend an entire day and a half traveling, and then they play a show. Like, yeah. It's not like they had time to go do like sightseeing or like hang out, relax. No, there's no relaxing from that. Absolutely not. Jeez. So like, how much energy can they have for this piddly little show? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think much, but uh, damn, <laughs> it was it was. They brought it. Yeah. So, okay, I, I guess I got to ask you this: were there were there any uh, low points or things that you you didn't enjoy about this performance? Um. I'm personally, and maybe this is because I'm spoiled and I've had the good luck to have seen them a few times, I'm a little tired of the cover songs. I could have maybe done without hearing them do Creep Again. Yeah. I, I probably, Although, yeah. I, I mean, I think it was it was fun and novel the first time I saw it, so I can understand why they do it if you know, you're a fan who hasn't seen them in a while. But, yeah. you know, I, there's so many Tears for Fears songs that I want to hear, and this is just me, you know, being selfish, I guess, uh, but I, I would trade Creep for, say, Mother's Talk <laughs> any day yeah. of the week. 
I think that's the other disappointment of the show is that clearly our uh, hashtag Hashtag campaign (laughs) did not work. Damn it. We tried. We tried to harness the power of the internet. Um, I guess we got to make memes next time. We'll just make a bunch of, like, just cats with Roland Orzabal's head and we'll just put hashtag mother's talk on it. (laughs) Maybe next time. Yeah. Um, Also, um, I should mention to anybody listening to this, I tried to record some of us listening to the show and like trying to get our comments. None of it is usable. No, I'm um, guessing it was probably pretty distorted. Also, yeah. I was loaded, so I mean, you know, <laughs> if if you got anything from me, it was probably mostly slurred words. Well, there was the when they started playing Badman song, and we discussed this on the last episode and even before the concert. Um so midway through my Badman song, I go up to Steve and I'm like, hey, how do you feel about them playing Badman song? And you're just like, I hate the song, but Kurt Smith is my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the truth. <laughs> I, th- I think he was everybody's spirit animal. God, he was good that night. He and the whole good. band was great. Yeah, but, they were great. Man. Um, and, and speaking of Badman song, even though I consider myself a fan of that song, I the I don't want to say the novelty, but the appeal of them doing that song is starting to get lost on me. Again, I have to take into account that they're touring a lot of places they haven't been to, or at least haven't been to in a very long time. So mm-hmm. majority of the crowds coming out to see them are people who are seeing them, if not for the first time, probably for the first time in 20, maybe even 30 years. Sure, sure. So I need to maybe... Uh, yeah. Be a little less selfish. You but. selfish bastard. That's that's what we all learned today. Steve Coleman. Selfish. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh yeah, I mean guys, that's same thing with me. That's my only minor quibble. But it was it was an incredible show. Uh definitely a, a better experience than when we went to Detroit and that was still loads of fun. Um God, if I if I think about like my best concert experiences from the past like five years, uh, both those shows are, are right up there for me, which is Oh. Both really cool and uh, incredibly surprising. Uh, and if I would, if I could go back in time five years and tell past Steve that future Steve had the time of his life seeing Tears for Fears multiple times and traveling across states to see them, um, I, I don't know how me at twenty five would react to that. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are, Steve Coleman. Um, yeah, and for me, having seen them seven times, this was at the very least in like the top three tears for fears experiences I've had. It was, it, ex- it exceeded my expectations, even though I knew I would enjoy it either way, obviously because it's my favorite band, but, mm. uh, just, I guess <laughs> it's kind of cheesy, but being there with you guys and then being as close as we were, the crowd was hot for the entire show. They were clearly enjoying themselves, even though they were in peril for part of the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I wish it would have been maybe three or four songs longer, mm-hmm. but they did have a curfew that they were fighting against, so there is that. Um, yeah. I guess they had to have the entire place cleared out by 10 o'clock, so it's not oh, even wow. that the curfew's at 10. They had to be done performing by at least like nine thirty, nine forty-five to make sure everybody got out of there. And Sure. Yeah, so that's the only bummer. That, that was, that um, was I feel like they could do like a set list that's at least twenty songs and mm-hmm. get away with it. Yeah, and this is what fifteen. Yep. Yeah, it, it did. And I think you mentioned that it was only one song shorter than the first time I saw them with you, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it felt really 
quick. You know, I guess there wasn't a lot of downtime between songs, so that was probably part of it. Uh, but the other part of that, too, is, you know, a lot of times I'll go to shows, and even with bands that I really like, there's there's always parts of shows where it's just like, eh, okay, you know. like Yeah, I'm, it's it's hard for me to be into a show just, you know, beginning to end, full stop. And, and this is one of them where I was just like, I was loving it the entire time. And then it ended, and I was just like, oh, oh, no, what? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a bummer. But, like you said, great show overall, so I'm not going to complain. And they played Floating Down the River this time. Which, if you were me at that show, or if anybody's listening to us who was there, I was the guy who was very close to stage who just yelled out, Oh, shit! Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember they were doing the countdown. I was like, I can't figure out what the song is. Is it Quiet Ones? Is it like another song from Elemental? And they started yeah. playing the like, the first few notes to Floating Down the River. And I was just, oh, man. I was so happy they played Geeking that. out. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was really cool. That was a nice touch. All right, Steve. We got to wrap this up before we go, before we close out season 2 because, you know, we're pompous big time podcasters and that's what we talk about. Um, well, actually there's two things I want to ask you. One is uh, when we when do we get a new record? When do we get a new album? Mm-hmm. When? When's it going to happen, Steve Coleman? It should be within the next year. Um, Didn't you I say know. that last year, Steve Coleman? I, I definitely did. Um, You're jinxing it, man. I was hoping we would have a new one by this point this year. But um, they, when they were doing interviews for the iHeart Radio Clear Channel bullshit festival, which was a big deal for them. I shouldn't be dismissing it. Sure. Um, so they do this big high-profile gig. So they did a lot of interviews. And I think they even did a few interviews that are still yet to be published. I think Rolling Stone talked to them for an extended piece um, because print media is still important. <clears throat> um, <laughs> the um, I guess when the whenever the family illness happens, maybe it wasn't Korean around, but like they had to kind of stop production for a few months, mm-hmm. um, which is perfectly understandable. Sure. I know they've been working on it really hard, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I follow both of them on Twitter, and they'll be like, when they're not even touring, like Kurt Smith is going over to the UK or. Roland Orsbill's going over to L.A., and they're just doing work on the album. Um, so they said 2017, for sure. Um, cool. God, I hope it happens. Um, but this is sort of the experience in being a fan of this band. I think you, there's always going to be a long wait for an album, which is an incredibly frustrating aspect of their um, of their body of work. Long waits. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, it's it's got to be rough for you. Thankfully, I've only been a fan for like what a, a year, year and a half now, so uh, <laughs> it's not so bad for me. <laughs> but it's I'm really interested to hear the direction because they're working with a lot of like big time producers this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you know off the top of your head who they're working with? Uh, this guy Sasha Spurgnick. I, I can't. Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen. It's just going to be uh, the album's going to be called My Wife. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, it's, the, it's the guy who wrote Wrecking Ball, oddly enough. Really? And it's not like the entire album. I think he's helping them produce some tracks. Um, it, it, it looks like they're going to make a really big go of it. And I think the pr- 
the big difference now between this and everybody loves a happy ending is they did everybody loves a happy ending on their own and just sold it to the record company for the most part. Mm-hmm. But now like they're they were signed before they even recorded any music and Warner Brothers is like kind of like guiding them sure. a little bit. Um I mean I think the guy they definitely still have like final cut, but I think having PR people and A and R people behind them is kind of forcing them into finding figuring out a direction. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, I'm very excited, but I'm also somewhat cautiously optimistic. That's fair. That's fair. Well, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Uh, there's one more thing I was going to ask you, and now I can't remember what it was. Obviously, it was super important. Uh, well, Steve, <laughs> oh, I know what it was. <laughs> Can we talk about your, your Instagram picture real quick? Because that oh. was amazing. <laughs> The one I took of uh, Roland Orzabal yeah, at the so show? Yeah, you, so you take this picture of Roland Orzabal, and then um, someone shared it. Uh, like, they, they took it from Instagram, and they shared it. And then, yeah. And then, what did, what did they say about optimism vaccine? That, like, <laughs> well, <laughs> so from the I, I shared the picture, guys. and I think I wrote something in the picture, like, this is Roland Orzabal, and dude almost just got whacked by a lighting rig tonight, but he still managed to play a good show, blah, blah, blah. And somebody, one of the, f- somebody from more like the f- fan groups on Facebook found that picture on Instagram and shared it. And it was like, oh my God, a Roland Orville almost got hit by a lighting rig or something like that. Like exaggerating my exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but then she's like, you know, the guys from Optimism Vaccine, <laughs> the Steves from Optimism Vaccine who do that podcast on songs from the big chair, they were there. <laughs> And I didn't say anything. I just I shared the screen cap with you and a yeah. few other people. But yeah, it was it was funny, and I I'm just I'm glad that uh, you know there's people listening out there. That's always good yeah. to know. And hey, if you're one of those people listening out there, why don't you email us optimismvaccine at gmail dot com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at optimismvaccine, or you can go to optimismvaccine dot com and you can comment directly on the post where this beautiful podcast is right now. Unless, of course, you're listening on iTunes. And if you are listening on iTunes, make sure you head over to the Optimism Vaccine page on iTunes and you rate and review Optimism Vaccine. Why do you need to do that? Because the more reviews and the more ratings that we get, especially the you know the good ones, the five-star ones, the more visible we are to the iTunes community, which means more people hear this podcast, which means more people get to share our love for Tears for Fears. And doesn't that sound beautiful, Steve Coleman? Oh, man, what a wonderful world. What a wonderful world. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve, C-U-F-F. And where do we find you, Mr. Coleman? I'm at Colemania. That is at K-O-H-L-M-A-N-I-A. Beautiful. All right, thanks for listening, and we will see you again in 25 years when they put out that new record. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks.